Welcome to the Morse Code Podcast, where we talk with entrepreneurially-minded creatives in music, film, and writing. My name is Corby, and I'm hoping these conversations inspire you to push deeper into your own work, whether you're a full-time professional or just starting out on your own creative odyssey. Really excited to share this conversation with writer and actor Julian Vaca. The first installment of his duology, The Memory Index, was published by HarperCollins in 2022. It was a Tome Student Literacy Society It List Book Award nominee in 2023, the same year his second installment, The Recall Paradox, was published. He also received the 2023 Nashville Literacy Leader Award. He's a young guy and he's already got two full-length books out, all while raising four kids. So, you know, get busy, people. Julian's also super active in the Nashville writing scene, whether as an instructor at the Porch Writers Collective, a Penn Faulkner Writers in School author, or as a Hey Young Writer mentor. Lastly, he's a screen actor. He would never tell you this, but he's earned a principal role on Still the King, a comedy starring Billy Ray Cyrus that ran for two seasons on CMT. The last time we got together, it was over Cocktails of the Urban Cowboy, and all we did was trade takes on favorite books. I promise this conversation will be more directed. If you get something out of the Morse Code podcast, please like and subscribe. And now, here's my conversation with Julian Vaca. Julian Vaca, thank you so much for making a little time to talk to us. Dude, thank you for having me. I'm so excited uh, for whatever is about to happen. Likewise. And part of that's because of the last time that we hung out, which is about a month and a half ago or mm-hmm. something, at the Urban Cowboy. It was just... Uh, the time went way too quickly and I, we were just ran out. I felt like we were just scratching the surface. So, I agree. So. And yeah, I, well, I, I was just going to add to that. Like, yes, time flew, but what was, I thought beautiful about it was because we have so many shared interests and because we're fortunate enough to have a lot of mutual friends, it felt like we had known each other a long time and we were just picking up where we left off even though it was the first time we had actually met in person yeah it, except for briefly and um i told you the story but i'll relay it for our friends is um we're both um well associates in this book community mm-hmm. and occasionally there are these um I don't, they're not meetings hangs that amy puts together amy mcconnell our friend that's and right at the, there's this one at this bar called auto in west nashville and uh <clears throat> right my wife and I were like just kind of toying with like kind of getting back on the wagon drying up for a couple of weeks or just to experiment with that and we I was like two days into it and I'm like sitting there at this mixer sort of socially awkward and uncomfortable drinking my LaCroix and um you just like all of a sudden just right there and I was like oh Julian I've seen you at the writer conference Mm -hmm. and I so wanted to talk to you and you were so gracious and then the smoothest mood ever you're just holding two old fashions and you're just like hey man great to see you and you just hand me one i'm like oh it's too good i can't not oh <laughs> so man you broke me that was yeah, your I'm first so, gesture i'm so sorry about that and, <laughs> and and what's funny is i don't typically make it a habit to just gift people old fashions yeah. but i just there was something about you i was like man i'm i just feel like we're going to really hit it off. And yes, I, I thank you for clarifying. We, we had briefly, briefly met at the at that writer conference, Writer Fest, the year before. And then very briefly, we got to hang out at Autos. So, th- so technically, our time at Urban Cowboy wasn't the first time that we met in person, though it was the first time that we actually got to really dig in. First quality um, time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, sorry about that, about making you break your, your, your dry spell there. But you know, Time well spent, <laughs> I really feel like it was... <laughs> It was worth every drop. <laughs> and to and to add to that, I think uh, for whatever reason there was something chaotic happening back at home, and I had to run. And so I think I, I think I dropped it off and then ran. You basically did because I was like, well, I didn't even get to thank him. <laughs> That's right. Was, I was like, this guy just ghosted me with a drink. It was awesome. Um, well, let's talk about um, let's talk about books. Yeah, man. I feel like I one of my great pleasures in life is talking about books and it's one it's an itch that hasn't not been scratched until quite recently because i've been in the music community for so long and musicians are too busy making music to spend time reading books and much less talk about them um so i'm excited about this Mm -hmm. and maybe the first thing is to say um thank you for these books that you just gave me <laughs> off camera. This, and I, I like most people, it would just be an amazing feat to publish a novel, mm. but you just have to be better than everyone and do two at <laughs> once. Uh, can you talk about how that happened? Yeah, absolutely. 
so I've, I've always had a love for storytelling. Um, and, and for the longest time, I thought that, you know, screenwriting was going to be, you know, how I realized that, that dream and that passion. And so I, I graduated, uh, you know, from college with, with a concentration, with a BFA and a concentration in, in screenwriting. And so I thought, you know, man, I, I had this, you know, romantic outlook on, on, you know, post-college life thinking, okay, I've, I've got my degree. I've got my my interest and in, and in, and and my my certification in screenwriting. Now I just wait around for for all the studios to knock on my door and 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 give me a job. And of course, quickly realized that's not how it works. And and as you know, filmmaking is such a unique medium in that it requires the involvement of so many different people to to realize a short film, to realize a pilot, to realize a feature. You really need involvement from a lot of talented people. And so I think I was feeling this kind of um, anxiousness to create, to mm. storytell. And so after a stint at a, at a desk job, I just turned to my wife one day and I said, I, I'm just feeling creatively unfulfilled. I, I have these stories that I want to tell. Mm. And she encouraged me and said, look, we don't have a mortgage right now. We don't have kiddos yet. Why don't you just quit? Maybe work part-time at a bookstore and, and, and just focus on your novels. Mm. Um, because the novel medium was something that really interested me because it's just, it's just you and a blank page. You know, if you want to tell a story, it's, it's just incredible. It's, it's just you and a notepad. Pure freedom. Exactly. And that really excited me. And of course, you know, I say this all the time to folks, but writers are readers first. And so I've always loved the written word. I've always loved, you know, novels and, and, and fiction. And so, Long story short, quit that job. And, and also, I should say, as an aside, I realized that's a very privileged thing that I was afforded, a, a very privileged opportunity. Not everyone can just up and quit their job and, and, and go pursue creative writing you know, for, for, sure. for a season. So I just want to say that I recognize, and it's not lost on me, yes. how, how fortunate and blessed I was to and, be able to do that. And to have a partner that allowed that was a huge part of that privilege. I mean, that's incredible. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So I, I spent a few years independently publishing some books. Uh, I was involved in some creative writing workshops and, um, you know, just really, really got to, you know, learn a lot about the independent and self-publishing process through, through that season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fast forward, our family started to grow, ended up taking a more traditional copywriting job in marketing. And then right before the pandemic hit, a dear, dear friend of mine, who's also an editor, reached out and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be taking this job at a, a nonfiction imprint at, at HarperCollins, and I'd love to facilitate an intro with an, a, an acquiring editor there. Let's get a manuscript in front of them. And mm-hmm. so, you know, those of you that know anything about publishing, that's a very unconventional uh, path to, to, to getting a meeting. Usually you query a manuscript and, and you try to find an agent. Yeah. And once you get an agent, they're the ones that are championing for you and going to publishers and, and you know, um, promoting you and your work to, to, you know, potential editors. And it's a really long process. Mm-hmm. And so, again, just very fortunate to, to have, you know, got invited to, to have a seat at the table and, and, and to, you know, pitch pitch a novel. And um, they, they the editor at the time, who's no longer with, with that, that imprint, she really was, you know, excited about my writing, but they didn't want to release something that I had previously self-published. So then they came back to me and said, what other ideas you have? Mm. And so that's where the memory index came from, an an exercise in going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, if this is my one shot, what story am I really excited about telling? Um, Amazing. And so did you create a proposal when they came to you? And how long was that? And how much time did you spend on that? Yeah, yeah. Great, great questions. So when they came back to me, the the initial thing that I set out to do was create a, a sort of pitch deck. Um, I pulled in visual elements and, and comp titles, and I really started to think about like, okay, if I'm going to pitch my dream trilogy, what, what would it look like? And then I wrote some sample chapters, so about 15,000 words. Mm. Um, and so between the pitch deck and the sample chapters, I presented this proposal to the editor and um the conversation you know quickly you know turned from we like this idea to okay we really like this idea how can we make it work and ultimately they came back and said 
well, because you're a no-name author at this point, let's not do three books, let's do two instead. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'll do one. I yeah. mean, I'm just grateful for, for an opportunity. So another unconventional you know, uh, aspect of my story there, selling a, a novel on spec and, and not a completed manuscript, which was a very interesting uh, experience. And did they release the books close together? They did. So, um, I, and that was a lear another learning thing for me because I would have thought, okay, you release the first book one year and then to drum up interest and, and to generate excitement, you, you really drag that out and maybe it's one or two years before you release the sequel. Mm. Well, because again, I'm, I'm a no-name author, they like to ride the momentum of the, the first release. So book one came out in August of 2022, and then the sequel came out earlier this year in April of 2023. So there was a eight or nine month turnaround there mm -hmm. in terms of the release. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, you strike me, just based on following you on the socials and stuff, as uh, and just in the short time that we spent together, as a real go-getter, you know, just mm. personality-wise. Um, and I wanna get into that a little bit more, but maybe this, could relate to the current topic on what, how involved has the the publisher been in marketing the book yeah. versus how much have you felt like you had to shoulder? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of first time authors or maybe aspiring authors who, who hope to get traditionally published, I think there's this tendency to think that, okay, once, you know, the ink dries on your, on your book deal, you've got an army of publicists and marketers and and you've got everybody who's working you know around the clock to make sure that that your book you know hits all the lists mm -hmm. um and, and maybe that's true of, of some authors who who sign the bigger six figure deals um, but for most authors generally speaking um, there's a lot of participation that's still required of the author to go out there and you know, fill out the author make forms on book festivals and yeah, doing everything that they can to make it happen, mm. um, to self-promote on socials. And I think because I was in self-publishing for a number of years, that transition was very seamless. Mm. I, I was already used to and excited by the, the opportunities and the prospect of getting out there and, and sharing my books with, with, with folks. And mm -hmm. so a lot of the school visits, a lot of the book festivals, um, a lot of the, the, the podcast, you know, appearances, um, a lot of those are, are shouldered by me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I, I don't say that from a point of like, you know, disappointment or, or, or wishing that my, my team or my publisher did more necessarily, um, but I get it. Like I'm just one author in their catalog sure. and there's only so much that they can do. And so I think stepping into that role of, of being a traditionally published author with the expectation and the right understanding that, okay, I'm still gonna carry a lot of this has, I think really helped me, you know, maintain a healthy perspective on everything. Absolutely, I, I love this subject and that's in fact, like one of the real main thrusts of this podcast is mm. um, talking and about and trying to empower um, similarly creative folks to take it upon themselves mm. to get the word out. And that's really a difficult thing. Yeah. It's not, it's, you know, it comes to second nature at best, I think with creatives in general. And I know that in my own journey, I had to make peace with that yeah. uh, necessary aspect of, of the, of the gig. Oh, absolutely. Years ago. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And, and, and especially if as artists were endeavoring to be humble and, and maintain that sense of humility. How does one strike the balance of, I'm gonna be humble and I'm going to recognize that my art isn't for everyone and that's okay, but also I need to be confident when I'm speaking to it and, and hoping to excite other people about, mm -hmm. about the art that I've created. Mm -hmm. So there is a balance there of, okay, maintaining humility and also confidence in the art that you've created. I mean, it, you, it's an artist and salesman job that's the gig now you know gone are the days really where you can <laughs> bend your opus in the behind closed doors to send it to the people and they make all the noise for you and you can just you know humbly accept your laurels when they come um, <laughs> that's so, so true it's, it's not really possible no. and um i know uh i can share maybe i'll share a tiny bit of my own publishing story just because as a way of establishing some common ground yeah but um i had a book get published in 2015 a collection of short stories called medium hero and how that happened was i it was touring a lot at the time for music i thought 
well, the merch table needed another high dollar item. And I had been writing these short stories forever. I'm passionate about it first and foremost. So there, that was there. But, um, I thought, well, you know, I went through those short stories and I thought I probably had 60 of them and I, I never tried to publish them or anything. I just would post them, post them on my Facebook page, whatever, just like as an exercise, put them in newsletters. And I sort of only, I had a mild knack for keeping them in a folder somewhere. Like it wasn't even very well organized. Anyway, when the time came, I went through and I was like, I think 20 of these are pretty good. So I went through those with a friend, edited them and self-published a little book, you know, probably like you did. I can't even remember the name of the company, but there's plenty of people that you can format the thing. I remember formatting the book was the worst week of my life. It was so hard to get that, like whatever program it is, I'm sure it's better now. Um, but anyway, d did that. And I was like, I would really love for this to be published, but I have no idea how to do that. Mm. I didn't, I think I had less contacts. I had no idea. And, uh, but so I, I, self-published the book i didn't even put an isbn i didn't register it thinking that well maybe in some dream world somebody will find it and then see that it hasn't been formally published and then take it upon themselves and so for like four months i just sold it at the shows and that was that and mm -hmm. then i played i uh we, we had a guest earlier on um my friend katie mcdougall who uh, is a co-founder of the porch mm -hmm. i don't know she and i are dear friends and i got involved on the ground floor with them um, it helped. Be, I was part of one of their um, fund early fundraisers, their annual fundraisers, and I had this this idea of like of um, this gig called the Tale of Two Tims, and it, we had Tim O'Brien, the writer, and Tim O'Brien, the musician, that came. It was wonderful, and uh, as maybe by way of thanks or just um, because Katie and Susanna are really nice, they let me play a couple of songs at that event. I played those couple of songs. I mentioned that I had a book. And um, my now friend, Stephanie Beard from Turner Publishing, approached at the end of the show and was just like, hey, you said what? And I was like, yeah. And so she went and bought it. And then like three weeks later, I got an email from her saying like, hey, I noticed this hasn't been published, blah, blah, blah. That was the beginning of the conversation. They published it. Fantastic. Um, but I just I knew and and know that the Turner, they're put cranking out tons of titles mm. every year. And here's this little thing that one person at that company fell in love with. Um, they're not going to make a lot of money on that. And consequently, they're not going to spend a bunch of time mm. on promoting it. I knew that. And I also thought, you know, like, here's this, what can I bring to the table given my experience and connections and whatever to help, you know, bring this book to a larger audience. And it's like, well, I do tour. I know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And I also know how to book tours and I know how to reach out to people and write emails that are short enough and long enough and detailed enough, whatever. Um, been doing that for years. And so second, the book got, I knew when the publishing date was going to happen, I public, I booked my own tour of 30 cities in America mm -hmm. and all the bookstores, you know, and I, the, I had this little bit, they also hired a publicist and it got some good reviews and that really helped mm -hmm. get into some of the bigger markets. But, um, that, and the publicist also helped, you know, I was on a couple like morning TV shows. I don't think that moved the bottom line at all. It was fun to do. It was mm -hmm. like fun for the, the social media posting, but, um, being able to just like go from city to city to city, I'm not even sure if it sold a lot of books, but it did raise awareness and f within my own fan base, which I'd been establishing for many years that I was able to sell those books to them. And even still at shows, like I still sell a fair amount of books per show when I play. That's and, awesome. Um, but the point of that is just to all say that like, I don't, and I, I didn't then, and I don't now think that it's anyone's responsibility, but my own to get my stuff out there. No yeah. one cares about it as much as I do. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think you Man. exemplify that to a T. Man, that's, well, that's all so well said. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it, you're so right in saying that, that no one is going to care about your work more than you. And I think understanding that is very freeing because then it, it removes this, um, this notion that like, you know, you're projecting all these expectations on your team and your publicist and, mm -hmm. and the, and the marketing team and all this. And, and, and once, once that clicks for you, um, it's, it's very freeing. Um, and, and it should, you know, it should spill out of us naturally as creatives. Like if we're proud of the work that we've created, um, it should come out authentically and, and, and naturally as we're, you know, networking and meeting with folks and, and, and self-promoting and promoting the work. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, 
yeah, you said something earlier that that I've never really considered, but it's true. Like we're we're an, we're we're writers, we're creatives, and and salesmen in, in almost an equal measure there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think that's important to to definitely lean into. Yeah. Um, when when you're tackling you know self promotion, I've noticed that um, there's been some important like mental shifts for me that have helped kind of overcome this sense of um, shyness or unworthiness or you know. Um, or, or just like, I don't know, I'm a mild-mannered person and I don't really like want to shove my elbow my way into somebody's life or consciousness necessarily. Um, but I am excited about what I do and I am excited about the work. Mm. And that's been so helpful for me to just think about like whenever I'm reaching out or make a post or whatever, it's not like I'm, I'm not asking for attention or um, bragging or... Is just like, hey, I'm excited about this, and then I and then I can put that out there and let let it go. Yeah, I'm. It's just like I'm excited about this. Maybe you'll be excited about it too. Mm-hmm. It's okay either way. I'm yeah. not like, I'm not apologizing or asking or. It's just like, hey, I'm sharing this. Yeah, take it or leave it. Your worth is not measured in how many people your your social media posts reach or how many likes they they earn you. Um, you're just using the tools at your disposal, like email marketing and social media as a megaphone to, to share how excited you are about your work. Mm-hmm. And, and that should be, that can be a paradigm shift for, for folks like, yeah, my, my value, my worth is not defined by how well this thing does or doesn't do. Um, and, and, and like, if you can, if you can just, you know, embrace that, um, it's a total shift for you on how to use the tools that we have because, mm. you know, social media can be an icky thing for folks and, and it can feel inauthentic or disingenuous, mm-hmm. but it is just a megaphone. It's just a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely share in, in that perspective and how to use, you know, social media. You're excited about it. Yeah. And, and that's why it's you're sharing that. Yeah. I mean, like this podcast is something that me and Kyle are excited about. And I mean, we're putting out, this is just the beginning of a, shit ton of content that's coming out into the world and you know i could look at that as being like god corby who do you think you are just like making a video of yourself (laughs) week after week i mean it is like from one perspective i'm like god get it over yourself but the other the other side of it is that like i'm actually i love this i love talking to you i i love independent creative people Mm. so much i think that it's so important to the world that people that they're individual human beings making art from their own heart and their Mm. own perspective the world desperately needs it and it's it's increasingly hard harder it's there's so much noise in the world and it can be overpowering i feel overpowered Mm. so it's a way of like self therapy in a mm-hmm. sense of just like talking to other people who I see you doing it, who I admire, not only creatively, but mm. like hustle wise and, um, fostering this, you know, c- community of people that like, maybe we can all help each other rise up. And if nothing else, just stay inspired and stay at it and stay creative. <laughs> um, here, here. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's like, so, so it's, if somebody hates the content, I don't know, I guess it's not for them. Yeah. But it's going to be for some people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it really is that simple. Yeah. Totally. It, and, and it's interesting how the inner critic in all of us finds unique ways to manifest itself in different areas of the creative process. So there's the inner critic when you're creating, who's telling you that you're you're wasting your time, that you're not good enough. Then there's the inner critic in you that 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 raises their voice when you're trying to share your, your stuff with friends and get feedback. And then there's the inner critic when you're trying to to market and 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 do exciting things like like a podcast or other channels Mm -hmm. um that inner critic is in all of us and finds different ways to manifest itself and it's a daily exercise in silencing that inner critic and embracing the truth Mm -hmm. so yeah just an aside absolutely and i i would also maybe add that i don't think it's a the the inner critic is a really important component of the creative act because that critic is also helping you form your work sure. and make it better. And you know, when it comes to the marketing side of it, that inner critic, you got to be able to put stuff out, but you also got to look at what you're doing critically absolutely, and go like, is this authentic to me? Is this, is this effective? Like, you know, you only have so many hours in the day um, that you can't do everything all the time. So you have to like pick the best use of your time, mm-hmm. you know, given your limited resources. And I, you know, I'm, I'm like, 
I'm a slow to slow to learn almost everything. And mm. that was, that's been one that has been hardest for me to learn probably is this like, and I'm still learning it, how to pare down the promotional side of what I do or uh, which promotional side to, to, to take on that's going to have the highest impact so that I can spend my best hours doing the actual work. Yeah. And, and like splitting that balance is, is always challenging and you always have to kind of be ruthless about could I be doing this better? Could I be doing this different? And so like, I'm like <clears throat> taking that, that information, not as a way to be like, I can't get up out of bed and I'm just not going to do it. And who am I anyway? But that, that inner critic of being like listening to the inner critic <laughs> and going like, yeah, I'm going to do it like that. Yeah. And hopefully like my inner critic isn't saying, I think my inner critic, the, the critic that says like, give up, you're not going to make it. I don't know. I haven't really given that guy the time of day for so long oh. that he hasn't really <laughs> like, I don't, that's awesome. I, I'm, I'm going to die soon. I always think about that. Like I'm like, th there's so little time. Mm. There's so little time in the day and in our lives. We're all going to be dead soon. I'm going to be yeah. dead soon. I think about it all the time. And so knowing that I like have, you know, 15 or 20 years left and man, I, there's things I want to do and I don't, I might suck at them. I really don't need, I still don't really know what I'm good at mm. really. Um, I'm getting better at a few things, but I'm like, maybe I should be a novelist. Maybe I should stop screenwriting. Screenwriting's fairly new to me. Mm. Um, maybe I should, maybe all of this is just a distraction to what I'm really supposed to be doing, which is what I started out doing, which was writing songs. Mm. All of these things are possible, Yeah, but I'm still going to just do my best to make one thing, you know, yeah. or do it like this is what I'm doing right now. Mm. Trusting that, that I'll know better as I keep doing this, what I should be best yeah spending my time on yeah you know somebody uh when i was early on in in career changes and, and going into marketing and using my creative writing and, and pivoting into copywriting and learning about all that stuff i was a part of a, of a young marketing team at a startup and our leader once said because we were feeling overwhelmed the you know other teams within the company were coming to us it, it felt like hourly with different tasks and he said you know what we we need to remember this as a team just because we can do anything doesn't mean that we can do everything mm. and i've I, that echoes in my mind to this mm. day and and it's been applicable in my own personal creative endeavors as well uh, as a healthy reminder that you know, I, I really ought to be focusing and trying to zero in on the things that I'm most passionate about and the mm -hmm. things that I most care about. Because just because someone can do anything, again, doesn't mean that they sh should try to do everything. Absolutely. So I thought that that was really profound. What do you think you're best at in this game? I think Or that, good at. Maybe thank you. Keep it at that. Yeah, thank you for yeah, <laughs> yeah um, rewarding that. I think storytelling in the written word. I think I'm really passionate about, this is another love that you and I share for, for acting. You know, mm. we both are fortunate enough to be represented by some amazing agencies here in town on the acting front. And so I love that. And I also really enjoy being behind the camera sometimes with, you know, short films or, or other projects. But I keep returning to the written word mm. and, and specifically in the novel writing sort of medium um, because I feel like that's where I'm both challenged the most and also the the most comfortable not 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 complacent mm -hmm. but where I feel the most comfortable and confident while, while still being challenged mm -hmm. um, because you know writing a novel it, it's an investment of your time it's it's a marathon um, Right now, at the time of the recording of this podcast, um, NaNoWriMo is, is happening, which is the National Novel Writing Month challenge that happens, I think, at a global level, where basically writers come together and create a profile on, on NaNoWriMo.org and collectively endeavor to write a 50 to 60,000 word novel at the end of November. Mm -hmm. I'm going to participate this year again. I've created a profile. I'm, I'm trying to, to, to get a, a crude first draft of, an, of another novel done at the end of the month. Um, but yeah, man, to answer your question, I think novel writing mm. is where I'm most challenged and, and, and most confident at the same time. And do you, when you're setting out to write a, a novel, a long form narrative story, do you plot out where it's going to go? Do you write to discover 
combination of those two things? It's definitely a combination of those two things. I think, um, you know, outlining is something that works really well for some writers. For me, I felt like it robbed me of the joy of the actual creative process because I was focusing so much on the front end. Okay, beat for beat, 3x structure, what's happening here, what's happening here, and what's happening here, and how does it resolve itself? I tend to work best when I come up with a seed of an idea, I have my protagonist, I figure out what their goal is and what the main conflict is preventing them from achieving that goal, and then I just follow them on their journey mm -hmm. and just discover, like you said, there's that discovery writing that sort of happens. And then at the end of that first draft, that has become an outline of sorts. Mm -hmm. And then like Neil Gaiman says, you go back in that second or subsequent draft and, and you start to pretend like you knew what you were doing all along. Mm -hmm. So the first draft for me becomes an outline of sorts, but I, I think that I'm most productive when I just come up with a few ingredients, a few elements, and then I see where the story takes me. And do you, will you invent characters along the way as needed, or do you kind of have a handful handful of characters in mind or a couple, or is it just the protagonist, the principal goal and the principal uh, yeah. obstacle? Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit of all of that. I think um, I, I will come up with, you know, some side characters, the, certainly the main character, and, and then also, you know, the, 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 the main air quotes villain um, or, or antagonist. A couple of the side characters, and then it, and then I just follow that main character on, on their on their quest, and along the way, other characters will materialize, and and other elements of the story will materialize. The world building will start to happen. Um, that's one of the great things about science fiction, which you know my debut duology is is in that subgenre. It's a huge sandbox, and science fiction is really just the vehicle for unpacking human themes. Mm -hmm. And so I think in speculative fiction, um, we, we get this luxury of having these really fun, fantastical elements to play with. Um, and, and, and so, you know, and there's established tropes, there's established, you know, uh, rules, I guess, within that subgenre. Um, and so I think it's, it's really fun. It's a really fun sandbox to play in, but that was a really long, uh, long winded answer to your, to your, you know, to your question of, yeah, I just sort of go with the flow, trust the process. That sounds like such a cop-out, trusting the process. Mm -hmm. But if you put the work in every day, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be very shocked to discover how, maybe not easy, but how it does sort of coalesce and come together, the mm -hmm. story writing process. It, I mean, I marvel at the, the work that happens when you sit down to write a story or a song. In this case, we'll say a story. Um, because it's, it's very mysterious what's, what's going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how to write a story. I don't actually know how to write a song. I've done it many times over every single time I do it. I'm like, how am I going to do that? I, yeah. You know, I really don't. And there's something incredibly, you know, it's sacred. I don't know. It's a spiritual thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's deeply mysterious. We'll say that. And there's something that's so like one of my you know why one of the reasons why i believe in this like the worth of creative effort is that it puts us in touch with something like eternal mm -hmm. and something ineffable and it also makes it absolutely personal and immediate yeah um and it's not it's also not something that you know m maybe your name is on this book but it's not clear who wrote this book or what wrote this book. It's very, you know, it's strange. Anyway, I that's repeating a, myself. No, no, no. That's a really, really great point. That's great insight because you don't really understand what that, you know, I said, trust the process earlier. You don't really understand what that process is, if there even is one, until you do the work of creating. And so, yeah, I wish I could say once you write your first novel, it demystifies the whole process. But every story, every novel comes with its own set of challenges and, and obstacles and, you know, problems to try and solve for. Um, so it's anything but a formula. It, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, they, they, they tell you, you know, that you've got to follow this certain kind of formula or this certain set of beats to, to tell a cohesive story. But there are plenty of novels where characters just meander or it's a day in the life of, or it's a, you know, it's a portrait of, of grief or a portrait of this. And, and it doesn't follow that traditional story structure. And so, yeah, I mean, 
you're you're so right. It's anything but a formula. This is a great um, segue into. Um, well, first of all, you're a really good writer. Um, I haven't. I I'm not very far into the Thank first you. of of the books, but um, it's clear that you have a massive facility with prose, mm. and it's just fun. Your your lead off sentence is just like, okay, I'm in. Let's just. It's thanks, dude. It's playful. You know, you're mm-hmm. a playful writer, and Thank that's, you. it's such a joy to be part of. Also, the um, inscription. There's a couple of things I want to talk about with with your book, but um, we have a shared fan in Saul Bellow, oh, um, yeah. who you quote at the beginning of the book. And he's a great example to me of a kind of reading that I so enjoy and a kind of book that I so enjoy where not much happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just like really fun to hang out with the characters. Yes. And I mean, I've read so many books and some of my favorite books, there's not a ton that happens mm. in the book uh, or they follow a really um, non-traditional narrative uh, arc. Um, and I think that we are actually talking about this at, uh, urban cowboy, but, um, one of my favorite writers in, in fairly new discovery is this guy, Carl, uh, Ove Nosgard. And I think that you had written him down because you were like, you'd never heard of him before. Yes. And he's a great example. I mean, the dude is like actually internationally famous now. Um, even though I, you know, strangely he writes in Swedish, um, and his books are, it's like memoir fiction. I was going to say, this is the guy who was like somewhat autobiographical, but not really. Yeah. I mean, it is, I think it's ruthlessly autobiographical and that's why part of the, he's a sort of a controversial figure for a number of reasons. But one of them is that he's like puts his family in the, Mm. in the books by name. Um, and like his marriage and there, there's something like, you know, maybe exploitative about that to your relations um, but at the same time, he, he skewers himself mm. ruthlessly. And it's part of what, you know, you're like reading this, uh, you know, these stupid decisions he's made. Um, I won't like go super into it, but like it makes you re- reflect on your own idiocy. Mm-hmm. You're also your own triumphs. And um, there's something, I don't know, it's wildly entertaining. Also, the writing's great, but it's just just to say a little bit more and then I'll be done with Carl is that the he's most famous for a six-part series of books he wrote called My Struggle about his trying to write a novel. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it covers all these epochs of his life and I'm I I kind of read one a year because I like I like kind of like like him too much. And I just like savor it. I don't want it to end. <laughs> so I've got the one more book to read. But like that's a great example of I've never read he's also like has a few more traditional novels. I've not, I haven't read them yet, and but I'm I'm so glad that he wrote this way mm-hmm. for these these books because they're so special. Yeah, and um, uh, so that's a great point. And I think about this all the time, man, because I'm like I'm kind of in my screenwriting phase right now. I just uh, finished a feature based on uh, my wife Rando's life. We can talk about that later, but. Uh, it's and I'm like, I don't know, I'm on draft 10 or something. We had a table reading for it last week. It was so painful. Mm. Ooh, to like watch all the actors say all the worst. <laughs> and so you got an audience and yep. you're also like hearing your own writing in yeah. your face. And some of it was funny, but a lot of it was just like, oh, I wish I could take that back. And also, man, I learned one thing. If I learned one thing about that screenplay is that there was way too much ink on the page. Mm. Screenwriting. And like I'm, I come at writing from a novelistic perspective, too. I love books, first and foremost. And you got to paint that picture, man. And you also got time. Yeah. There's no rules to novel writing. As long as you can make the reader want to read one sentence after another, you're doing what you need to do. Yeah. Um, screenwriting, not so much. Yeah. You've got no time and you're also, it's like a screenwriting is a blueprint, a screen, a screenplay is a blueprint. And when you're, if at least if you're working within the industry and you're trying to get attention with very busy people who are financially motivated, you got to get in, get in and get out really quick. Anyway, that was, uh, that was one thing. Um, but <clears throat> so I'm very grateful that he wrote non-traditional mm-hmm. and I wonder too, if I'm hot, like especially with screenplay writing. I've read all of all the books and there's things about them. I've learned so much. I'm so grateful because I want to write great stories, but I notice that I'm a bit of a weirdo when it comes to how I make stories happen. And I do, I'm like right from a very emotional place. I do write to discover and maybe, 
there's room for the non-linear storytelling in all of this. Absolutely. And, and to what extent do I adhere to the principles and to what extent do I just be like, fuck it. Yeah. Like, this is what I'm feeling this. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's, um, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I, I read recently somewhere, somebody was giving, um, I'm trying to remember who, who the author's name, but he was basically like, in the revision process where you're going back and you're rereading what you've written, one of the most important things to look for is if it sounds like writing, rewrite it. Mm. And I think what happens for me is when I think too much about the rules and the principles, it can box me in. Mm -hmm. And if I'm trying too hard to hit certain hero's journey beats, you know, like we talk all the time in screen in the screenwriting world about that hero's journey, the inciting incident, the refusal of the call, and yeah. you start, you know, um, obsessing over beats. Mm -hmm. And but what we ought to do as storytellers is try to be as authentic as we possibly can to our own voice and our own story. And that's what's going to make us decidedly us. And, and mm -hmm. that's what's going to make our stories sound distinctly different. Mm -hmm. So I would always encourage people, anyone who's listening to the podcast or you or, or even to myself preaching this to myself, saying it in a mirror, um, always strive to to you know, be authentic to your voice. Mm -hmm. And those principles and all that stuff, maybe down the line, if you're having a serious conversation with an investor or, or, or you're, you know, you're having a conversation with a director and you start thinking through like, okay, how can maybe we structure this a little bit more? Maybe there's a time for that. But in that initial first draft, getting the story on the page, realizing your story, be true to your voice mm -hmm. and, and be authentic, as authentic as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Rules be damned kind yeah, of in a way. Exactly. Just, yeah. You can, you can, you can shape, I don't know about you, but for me, way, way easier to edit. Than yes. To create. Completely agree. And I think not like, let's not throw rules out the window completely. I think there is some truth to understanding what those rules are first. And mm -hmm. you've done the homework. Mm -hmm. You've read the books. You've read, you know, you've really you're a resourced writer because you've, like you said earlier. And so I think that that is a critical part to, to this, like understanding what those rules are first, certainly in the screenwriting world. And then you can, you know, decide what rules are worth breaking. Yes. Um, for some reason, I'm reminded of this writer. Uh, his name is Wells Tower. And that's a great name. What a great name. He's, he's another, <laughs> he's another controversial figure because his, his haters, his detractors, um, say like, ah, if, if my name was Wells tower, I would have been published a bunch of times too. And <laughs> oh, I'm God. trying to like looking at my bookshelf and trying to see the book that I can, I can find, but here's, I just, I'm going to come around, bear with me. Yeah. Um, heard about this guy because of an audition for a film that came through, um, that was shot in Atlanta called, uh, it's not called dope sick. Um, but there was another one. It just came out. It's on Netflix right now, uh, starring Emily Blunt. And oh, painkillers, painkillers. Right. I auditioned for painkillers. Oh, rad. And uh, when the audition came in, I, as I do, um, I look at all the names in the breakdown: the producers, the director, the writer, you know, the stars, the whoever's whoever's name. I look them all up because I kind of you know just have a point of contact. Sometimes that can steer your audition a little bit too. Mm. And it did for this one. I didn't get the the gig, but. Uh, I saw who it was written by this guy named Wells Tower. I saw that he was b about my own age. I remembered that the description, the character breakdown was like, uh, like a former band guy. It's like so there was some a musical connotation to it. And I was like, this guy's going to like, I bet he listened to the cure. Cause he's kind of a weirdo and he's right, right around that era. So I went and fished out a cure t-shirt and I made that part of my thing. Anyway, that's uh, great. Didn't, didn't book the role, <laughs> but still, but still, this is great. But so, okay. This is what's even more interesting or, or maybe the actual interest of this story is that, so I look up his name, Wells towers, the screenplay writer and, um, Oh wow. He came out with this collection of short stories 10 or 12 years ago that destroyed the world everybody it had countless articles written about it i'm like fuck i gotta find out about this guy to, to this it's the best it's the best collection of short stories i've ever read whoa it is it was i mean it's just so fun it's the, and talk about a personal voice and um the 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 last story is the title of the book and i'm just so ridiculous wells tower his short story collection for y'all out there we'll put the comment we'll put the link in the comment section if you're watching on youtube um 
when I remember the title. But uh, the last story is a conversation that takes place between two Vikings and is written in contemporary language after having raided a small town. And it's like, it'll, it makes you cry. And it's just, it makes you cry because you think that people have never changed. People don't change. They still love their, their loved ones. They're scared for the futures of their children. They're like, it's just, it's amazing writing. Right. Wow. And it's, it's just so it's wildly inventive also. So yay, all of that. Yeah. And what's, what startled startles me is that, uh, Rand and I watched painkillers two nights ago and I was like, man, you would never know what a gifted writer this guy is by watching this movie because the the nature of a screenplay yeah it, it it doesn't have you can't be so playful with your language you can't paint that picture you're you're kind of you're telling a fairly linear story mm-hmm. and it's just it's this happens then this happens then this happens then this happens and all of the ways that you're describing what happens and what happens are not available to you in a screenplay so i'm like i don't think that buddy that your your gift is this milieu so let me ask you this when you read the sides though so so you you watched it with your wife and and you felt like man it, it was it was missing the the magic of of his actual you know writing abilities you know but but when you read the sides and there was scene direction in there and dialogue did you still get that sense or were this was the, did the excerpt of the script that you read was it closer to his I would say absolutely not. I mean, it was pretty interesting. It's, just, it's so straightforward yeah. screenplay writing. Yeah. You really are just writing direction. It's true. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe if I went back now, because I read the side, did the audition, the book came three days later, and that's probably when I started it. And by that time, the sides are long gone. I can't mm-hmm. even remember. You know, um, it just it's just interesting. Yeah. Like we all have our different, you know, we're, our different strengths and weaknesses. We also don't always know what they are. We also have to chase opportunities as they are given. I heard that that screenplay with Emily Blunt as its champion uh, sold for fifty million at Cannes two years ago. So that's from by Netflix, and so it's like. Good job. That's yeah. probably a pretty great payday. Oh yeah, so, certainly. Hats off to you. Also, interestingly, I would love to have Wells on this. He probably will never be a guest on it now that we've talked about him too much. But um, <laughs> I know that he like he he wrote these this collection of short stories, wild acclaim, yay. And then everything ravaged, everything burned. That's it. Everything ravaged, everything burned. Thanks, Kyle. That's a great title too. Great and, name, great title. Of course. Yeah. Of course. He's. I think he's struggled for fifteen years to write a novel. Mm. And and hasn't so that's interesting that is very interesting a a, a writer of such precocious talent and incredible opportunity the world's probably still waiting for that novel you know everyone who's his fan he has a lot of them uh would love to see that thing come out so that's interesting too how like we get in our own who knows maybe he's just like not interested although i can kind of understand that to a degree because i don't understand how people songwrite or write poetry or write flash fiction or write short stories mm-hmm. to me as a as a long form storyteller i am so intimidated by mm-hmm. songwriting <laughs> i don't see how it's done i don't understand how it's done it's yeah. hard for me to grasp how it's done so i can kind of understand maybe you know here's this guy wells tower who's written these incredible you know these incredible short stories then sitting down and then and then you know a screenplay of course is nowhere near as many words in Mm -hmm. in terms of you know uh word count uh length as a novel maybe he sits down to write a novel and he's like shoot how do i crack this Mm -hmm. so i can maybe kind of understand that because again i don't know how how writers of short fiction of short stories like like yourself i marvel at at, at the ability to be able to to songwrite Mm -hmm. and to write in 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 the short story medium i I don't get it (laughs) (laughs) that's uh, yeah Hmm. i don't know we're all such weirdos (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. I don't know what really to take from that other than, um, you know, it's, it's the, the, maybe, maybe the transition isn't quite as seamless as, oh, you write short stories. Well, then you should be able, and you write, you, you've written a screenplay yeah. and you should be able to just write, sit down and write a novel Yeah, and, and maybe the, the, the reverse of that too. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to write a novel. I've written, I wrote the Morse code novel, um, that's pending right now publication, but, um, I, I wrote it from the screenplay. So I had a structure and I just like, it was really fun, honestly. Yeah. Like I didn't, ha- it was almost, 
it's not like it wrote itself at all but i had the thing i had the beats to write to and i just filled it all in i was mm-hmm. like this is what's going on in this person's head and that's where i really i love the introspective the psychological novel yes um that's what i read novels for largely i think i have a question for you about about morse code because uh, okay so so okay so let me let me let me make sure i i get this so you've got the pilot which is getting great critical reception you've you've gotten into festivals and it's and it's it things are going well on that front that obviously came from a a, a, a teleplay a screenplay or whatever for mm-hmm. the for the for the pilot and then also there's a completed novel so you've got three manifestations essentially of this story the the screenplay teleplay for the pilot the actual pilot that you shot and then the novel mm-hmm. uh what came first and 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 how did having you know having a, an actual pilot that you shot in a screenplay inform the creative process of the novel i'm so curious about this yeah um well maybe i should say first why that why did i write a novel after the the screenplay sure. or the pilot was out and that was because uh like you i got I, you know i got some hustle and in my research of how to how to best how to create the best opportunity for y- your creative works which i'm interested that's one of the reasons for this podcast um i discovered or learned or took to heart the advice of some guy talking on some video i can't remember <laughs> <laughs> uh, advising you to like ma- build out the as much ip as possible around your yep. uh, r- around your screenplay or you know so if you write a screenplay and you have a show or a movie idea Maybe write a comic book. Maybe mm. um, think about other ways that can, that can carry this brand and this and do some world building in other genres outside of itself that they might all kind of inform. That's so smart. I mean, Marvel is the great example of that, where they, you know, this comic book. So there's this whole universe. Mm. They're all all these characters are interconnected. So when the movie comes out, they know that there's going to be, you know, this, I hate Marvel, but that's a great example of of world building. Um, in, in, in creating massive IP. So I was like, well, we've got this pilot out. I it's, it's done. You know, there's not going to be, I can only post so many behind the scenes pictures or whatever on social media. It's like not that interesting, but what else can I do to, you know, create another avenue for that Morse code world and those characters and those themes. And so that was why the, the novel, um, and how I did that was like, well, like I said, I had that screenplay already. So here's the, and I, the novel is basically this. It's almost the screenplay. It's a little bit bigger, but it was like, how can I cre- how? What was interesting to me creatively for that? It was like, can I make a novel out of a 30 minute play like, like screenplay? Can I create enough material, make it compelling in that and have the scope be that as yeah. limited as that? And I found it, you know, I, it's a short novel, it's 50,000 words, but it's like exactly what I wanted it yeah. to be. I mean, exactly what I wanted it to be lengthwise. Let's just say that's like, I realized my greatest dreams in writing this novel. <laughs> um, so that's why that. And, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm like more interested in this question of, of novel writing from scratch. Like, I think that, you know, this is a lot, there's a lot of pages in this, in these two <laughs> books. And I, I am of all of the creative things in the world, mm. I love the novel the most. Mm. That's where my heart is and what I've been reading since I was a little kid and what I aspire to. And the thing that I find most challenging and the only way that I notice that I even have a shot at doing it. Um, and that this is screenplay writing too, in a way, any sort of long form story mm-hmm. is <clears throat> to sit and just write. Yeah. To just write. And I have an idea. I have a, a character and then just keep going. And then <clears throat> I don't know. Also not be afraid to just like take a wild ass left turn yeah. in the story just to do it and tr- somehow like trust that it's all going to come out in the end or that just like, I know this is not good. Like sometimes I'm typing and I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> I don't, I, I hate this. I hate this story. I hate this character. I'm just like trying to get my 2000 words a day in or whatever. You know, my, when I'm really writing, it's like 2000 words a day and you can, you can bang out some pages, you know, and that, that, that is actually my like perfect world benchmark as well. Mm-hmm. I obsess over, um, daily word count goals because it's such a long investment of time and process to get a novel complete. 
I have to set those daily word count goals. Yes. So uh, 1500 to 2000 is like a really good day for me yeah. with, with new pros. If I'm right, if I've at the end of the day, I can say I wrote 2000 words. Um, but dude, I, I think, um, little tangent here. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe it can offer some encouragement to, to some of the listeners. Um, right. Most, most writers, right in the margins of life because there's so many other things going on, whether it's a traditional nine to five, whether it's being a stay at home parent, whether it's being an educator, like whatever we, we mm. just, we have so much, mm. there is no perfect world scenario. Well, there are few perfect world scenario authors out there who can just write when inspiration strikes. Mm-hmm. Most of us write when we can in the mm-hmm. margins of life. Um, and so, that's going to look a little different f- for for you know for folks, but for me, what has helped is 250 to 500 words in the morning over coffee or on an extended lunch break in between projects. Here's another 250 to 275 words. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, maybe it's you know another 500 to a thousand, mm-hmm. and that has a cumulative effect. Absolutely. And if you're just chipping away at, at that overall word count goal. In a month or two, you, you've got a fifty to sixty-five thousand word first draft. Yeah, and that that approach really pulls the uh, carpet out from under the excuse of like, well, I just don't have enough time. That's to right. Because if you have twenty minutes at lunch to write, and you can write a hundred words, and you don't, well, I guess you don't want it bad enough. Yeah, um, that's a great point, man. And uh, oh, did you? Uh, sorry to cut off your thought. Uh, I texted you a, a few weeks ago about this this uh, this book called Stolen Focus. Did you yeah, dude, I bought it. It's up there. Oh, I started reading it oh, and I like, was telling Randa all about it. I'm oh, like, you, you need, you need to, you need to, if you're listening to this and, 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 and you know, uh, understanding like a, a good, healthy flow state for creating art, it interests you and, and you, and you want to understand like what's really threatening our, our ability to focus. I highly recommend yes. stolen focus. Stolen it, focus. We'll throw that one yeah, the link do. in the comments. Please well do. On the YouTube. I, and I only bring that up because he talks about a flow state as being one of the few instances that we can today in this digital age of doom scrolling mm-hmm. uh, and streaming, it's, writing a novel is a, is a perfect example of being able to dedicate true focus for long stretches of time because it's a challenging enough thing for most people, but it's a creatively fulfilling thing as well. Mm-hmm. And you just get lost in the story. Mm-hmm. And so once you exercise that muscle, once you are, you know, you get more and more comfortable writing 500 words here, 250 words here, it's going to really start to come a lot more naturally for, mm. for a lot of us. That's such a great, that's a really encouraging. Yeah. Um, I, two thoughts about that. One is I really do feel like phones are maybe mark the end of civilization. I share it's in that. It's so I, terrible. I, I share in that. so terrible. People, I, the phones and AI and chat GPT and all this stuff, everybody's celebrating it right now. I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I agree. Yes. I'll just say that. I agree. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think that there's part of me, I've intuitively always been so attracted to the written word. And I think that's partly because I have a little bit of a Luddite gene where I just like the old fashioned way. There's something about me. I drive an old car and that, that. and um, like, there's something when you read a book, mm. words on a page, you're connected to an ancient tradition. That's extraordinary to me. And it's so much more appealing than reading like a book on a tape or reading on a Kindle. I don't have either of those things. I've never listened to a book on tape. Um, maybe I will someday. I'm not like saying I won't. I like podcasts, but there's, there's something in like, to your point also, um, it's calming to read a book. And I noticed that like for me, my, my daily routine is I wake up early in the morning and I work on writing. But before I work on writing, I'll at least, I like a set a timer 30 minutes. And it's not like you have, you, you have to read for 30 minutes. It's like you get 30 minutes mm-hmm. and it really is like that for me. I'm like, Oh my God, it's yeah. my favorite time of the day. Yeah. And it puts me like reading, reading great prose fiction in particular puts me in a space that is like, I feel like I'm in touch with something essential about being human and, Dude. and, and connected to a lo- an ancient tradition, a large tradition of, of thinkers and feelers and the community of humans. And I'm like, I'm in this too. I'm part of this now. And I've, yes. I'm like ready to go. And like the phone, there's no flicker. There's no screen. And you know, <clears throat> that's not to say I don't fight all of that stuff sure. too. Like, 
the no, distractions and everything for but. sure well dude and and yeah like recreational reading and, and and figuring out what your genre or your interest is once you figure once you find that like interest in 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 reading whether it's in fiction or nonfiction, something changes where reading isn't something that you have to do it's something you get to do and I love that you 100%. you were talking about setting that timer. It's like no, you have to. It's like no, you get to. Oh yes, I, I'm gifting myself. Yeah, you know, half an hour. Um, other one other thing I'll say about Stolen Focus, just really quickly. He, he and there's a a chapter in there where he interviews. Um, I mean, he interviews all kinds of you know, uh, you know sleep specialists and and you know neuroscientists and experts in various fields and they're all he's bringing all these interviews together to hopefully understand why we've lost our ability to focus but one of the things that he talks about with reading there was a study that showed that readers of fiction are far more empathetic people than people who don't read fiction i totally it makes complete sense to me right because you're in the head of the author and the and the writer and you're connecting with them and learning about them through the voice of their characters and their world and their world view and so people who read fiction uh more regularly tend to be more empathetic which is so interesting yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean because one of the many joys of reading for me is the opportunity to just spend time in somebody else's shoes to have their struggles and their adventures in the comforts of your own home with a cup of coffee and you, you but sometimes those adventures are gripping and and it teaches you like reading about villains or reading about um complicated people or simple stories it's it, like reading about stories um, I can't but help you be empathetic mm. and it, it does have real world implications for your daily interactions I noticed that I have a hard time sometimes taking sides on complicated issues because I'm like mm, I can kind of see where they're coming from mm. um, which makes me bad at rallying under causes of any kind <laughs> <laughs> but you know what no I, I that is a healthy that is a healthy worldview because I think uh, so, social media and, and Twitter and everything or, or sorry X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, it, it doesn't allow for it's not a con, it's it doesn't it's not conducive for healthy conversation and dialogue, mm. and so um, we're conditioned now to think that you ought to just have a black and white. It's everything's binary, and it's like no. I mean, life is rarely black and white. It's more mm. gray. And um, I guess bringing that full circle to the conversation about reading fiction and 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 what a joy it is to actually read and how sacred and spiritual of an of a exercise it really is um i think that that's actually a great place to be in mm-hmm. where your default isn't yeah flag in the sand yeah but totally, but, but rather well hold on let i want to understand both Let's sides you here. out yeah, yeah totally let me listen here um there's another great book uh kyle can you look at this up for me um the writer's name is jonathan height it's h-a-i-d-t i like him a lot and um he's a social psychologist and um that's probably not exactly the title, but he uh, is an academic. And he the book that I'm thinking of, um, what's the last book that he he wrote, uh, Kyle? Modeling of the American Mind. No, that's a good one, though. Um, it's more recent than uh, that. That's a great title. Yeah. <laughs> the Anxious Generation? Uh, no, there's another one. Um, the Third Time's a Charm. Yep. <laughs> Well, the ancient, like one of the, th- the things that's powerful about him, he's a stats guy and mm. um, he, he underscores arguments and he notes that, you know, um, the psychology or the mental health of children fell off the map like in 2010 or 2012. It's in like one year. It was crazy. And it's really when iPhones got t- came to the fore and kids in social media, particularly girls, adolescent girls in social media is toxic. Mm. Um, the, I, the happiness hypothesis? it is not i have this book it's in another one of these in my shelf um but the point is okay so Mm. i'll just kyle will keep looking it up and um it's one of his premises and the premise of this book is this um investigation of what is really going on when we have our opinions Um, and it's particularly like when they're emotionally driven and it's like people and this intuitively makes sense to me, but whatever position that I feel I, I have on any particular issue and the, the rationality to which I devote justifying that position, if you go a little bit deeper, it's very irrational. Mm. Like everybody is that way. And it's, 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 wow. 
it's from an evolutionary perspective that he investigates this and um, it's a very compelling argument and it's an argument for tolerance and for patience and for um, taking time to understand and for empathy is yes. really, really positioned. And for that reason, I wish this guy every success. And he also is not on social media, understandably. Um, but he's great. You can find him on YouTube, his talks and he's not like <clears throat> somehow it's not a very political position it's it's kind of able well it shouldn't be like yeah like it, it and and um that that is so uh, counter to our culture and society right now where there is such a mob mentality mm. and he, it sounds like the things that he's talking about and the observations that, that he's making cut directly against that which i think we need right now so desperately absolutely um man Oh, the righteous mind. That's it. Boom. The righteous mind. Um, aptly titled. It sounds like given everything you were just sharing yeah, about his position. Yeah. Um, Kyle, what are we at? Uh, just over an hour. Okay. Already? I know. Time just flies too much, too quickly. That I'm shocked by that. Sorry. Well, <clears throat> we should wrap it up. But um, this is this is so fun, and we'll have to have you back on so we can just keep talking about I'd love books that. and writing and approach to creativity. I hope that people got something out of this and feel empowered and inspired. Um, I'm a big fan of Julian Vaca and you got to check out these books. Um, the recall paradox mm. is the first one. It's that's actually the sequel. I'm sorry. Yeah. Memory index is the first it, one. It's a little confusing because the first one came out in hardcover and got this, this beautiful hardcover treatment. The second one went straight to trade paperback. So if you're like me and, and you love having consistency on your bookshelf, I apologize in <laughs> advance. Hopefully it doesn't take away from the reading experience or the story itself. Uh, but yeah, it's the, it's the memory index duology. But if you're like me and you prefer reading paperbacks, then you're probably in, uh, in store for a treat. Because is this also available? <laughs> not yet. Not okay. yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, stay tuned. <laughs> um, Julian, thank you so much. I wish you the best. Thanks, man. Appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. The Morse Code Podcast is produced by Corby Lanker and Kyle Noctegall in East Nashville, Tennessee. Our executive producer is Randa Newman. You can find full video of this and all past episodes by visiting morsecodepodcast.com.